Welcome, podcast listeners, to uh, another uh, Blaney's podcast, and we're doing part two of our interview with uh, Dennis on the commercial lease. And uh, without further ado, uh, hello again, Dennis. Hello, Lou. You know, one of the things that we, we talk about when we're looking at leases from a transactional point of view is you know, the success of getting a lease, getting it all signed up. But what about the time that there is a, a dispute between the landlord and the tenant, or the tenant misses a, a month's rent, or there's some kind of uh, issue with respect to the landlord's uh, keeping the premises in good repair? Um, can, a, can a landlord exercise what we call a self-help remedy to lock out the tenant uh, when he doesn't pay the rent or breaches one of these terms? Uh, yeah, I'll preface my answer by starting by saying that if people are signing a 10- or 20-year commitment to work together, then as much as they want to preserve their respective rights in the case that somebody breaches something, such as misses a payment or there's a flood, uh, they really, in my experience, the lease transactions that work the best are the ones where people work with one another. Having said that, parties need to keep an eye on preserving their rights and so when a default happens, and to address your question specifically, where a landlord wants to consider what his remedies are, so I assume that they've attempted to negotiate with the tenant and work it out and uh, to be reasonable on both sides. Yes, they can, in some circumstance, uh, take unilateral action and lock out the tenant. Uh, there's a process. Uh, very often that process is defined in the lease, depending on the complexity of the lease. To the extent it's not defined in the lease, it's to a great extent defined in legislation and in the common law. So if you come to a lawyer that's familiar with commercial leasing, they can tell you what your, what your rights are. Some tenants do make the mistake of thinking that the landlord will never do that or that the landlord can't do that. Uh, and the landlord can. So the landlord does, and uh, you're a tenant, and you walk back to your the premises one day and the door is closed and there's a white little sign on it, what can you do? Are there, are there any remedies left once a tenant is locked out? Well, sometimes the tenant says, thank goodness the landlord's finally done it, I can go. Um, but that may not be the end of it. And uh, if the tenant wants back in, then there are certain things that they can do. They can apply to a court to get what's called relief from forfeiture, for instance. They can go and pay the rent to the landlord. Let's be practical. Sometimes the landlord just really wanted to get the tenant's attention. And uh, the tenant should be careful because it may not be a pure walkaway situation if they don't want to seek relief from forfeiture uh, there may be an issue of a continuing liability under the lease that needs to be addressed. What do you mean by that? Well, a landlord has a number of remedies available to them, and sometimes, notwithstanding that the landlord appears to have terminated the lease and retaken possession, that is, may not be just a factual question, but also a legal question. 
liability for rent under the lease can, in some circumstances, continue to accrue so that every month that goes by after that, the tenant owes more rent. Um, alternatively, um, instead of being liable for the rent, uh, it may accrue in the form of damages that are due to a landlord who had a five-year lease and the tenant has failed to pay rent for five years. Let's uh, shift gears just for a quick for a moment and talk about um, another provision in the lease that we see quite often, and that is a provision dealing with subleasing and assigning. Can you, first of all, tell us what they mean, how they differ, and um, I'll ask you some questions about franchising in that context. But first, let's focus on those definitions. Sure. Uh, a sublease, the most common situation is, uh, again, back to the retail, I have a store and uh, I don't need it all. I don't need all of the premises. Or perhaps there's a specialty item that I want to sell, but it's sold by somebody else. So what I will do is I will share the premises with a third party. That would be in the form of a sublease in most cases, which would mean that I would give them certain rights under my lease, but not all the rights. An assignment of the lease would be common or more common in the circumstance where I no longer have use of the premises, and, or I no longer need the premises, and I'm interested in transferring the, all of the rights that I have to another third party. In both circumstances, of a, uh, both of a sublease and of an assignment, uh, does the landlord have to consent to that before it occurs? It's a question as to what your lease says, okay. generally. And that is a very important provision to consider at both the offer stage and the lease stage. The issue can go to many levels because, as you can imagine, a landlord wants to control what happens in their space in most instances. And a tenant generally is doing it either to promote their business, either in the franchise situation or to bring in a specialty boutique, for instance, or they're doing it because they have a lease for a term and they don't need the premises. So all of those things come to bear and are usually specifically dealt with. Now, what, what I've seen, and you know, I, I don't have the experience that uh, you obviously do, is that uh, uh, there is usually a subject to landlord's consent, which consent is not to be unreasonably withheld. Is that something that can lead to arbitration as well, uh, the issue of the landlord's consent? Yes, it could lead to arbitration or litigation. The standard as to of the consent can be granted on a reasonable basis or unreasonably withheld is another phrase, uh, really goes to statutory and common law um, precedent, which says that you have to assume that parties have to act reasonably. So if the landlord, for instance, wants the unilateral right, as I say, you have to decide who gets to decide. So if the landlord wants the unilateral right to say no, then you probably have to phrase it that they have the right to unreasonably withhold that consent. And the reason for that is because there's an expectation that you'll be reasonable. How does the franchise, uh, franchisor, franchisee relationship work within the context of this notion of assignment and subleasing? Well, the 
franchise situation has a lot of different uh, permutations, uh, ways that people do business. In the context of the lease, sometimes the franchisor will enter into a lease and then sublet it to a franchisee. In some circumstances, the franchisor will sign up a franchisee, and then the franchisee will go and take the lease of the premises. I think that the uh, most common case is that the franchisor will lease the premises and then sublet it to the franchisee. But if you think back to the distinction that I made, the difference there is that in the case where the franchisor sublets to the sublessee, or to the, I'm sorry, the franchisee, the franchisor retains all of the rights, except for the right to occupy the premises for a portion of the lease term. And a franchisee should think about that very carefully, especially if they're making a serious investment in leasehold improvements, equipment, uh, in the location, in the rent. They should consider which would be better for them, a sublease or a complete assignment. If there is a a sublease situation between a franchisor and a franchisee, uh, can the franchisor use that sublease as a way of uh, if he was terminating the franchise and, and evicting the franchisee, the franchisee uh, from the premises? My feeling is, is that that's, a com- that's more complex than just a commercial leasing question. The rights under the sublease will be governed by the terms of the sublease, the terms of the head lease, as well as certain pieces of legislation. What you seem to be asking about, Lou, is whether or not it can be used as leverage to get out of a franchise agreement, and I would leave that up to experienced litigators like yourself to answer that question. All right. All right, let's talk about a, cu- a couple of other issues. One of them is the use clause that we find in a, uh, in a lease. Can you tell me what a use clause is, why it's there, and uh, what we have to be careful of before a tenant? A use clause is an agreement between the parties as to what the tenant is going to be doing on the premises. There's some interesting perspectives when you think about use clauses. One is, you got to remember, the landlord's not guaranteeing that you can do what the lease says you can do. They're just saying they'll permit you to do it. So you've got to check your zoning bylaws, for instance, to make sure that what you've agreed to with the landlord can be done legally, because that's not generally the landlord's problem. That's generally the tenant's problem. A landlord, of course, in a larger for instance, a regional retail center, will want to uh, control or mix the types of uses that go into the center. And as a result, they will be relying on the use clause to enable them to have different uses in different parts of the mall. And in some circumstances, to permit them to be able to grant with some assurance uh, exclusive rights to certain tenants. If a tenant decides through the term of its lease to do some renovation and construction in those premises, does the landlord have to be involved and provide its consent to that construction? As a general rule, yes. The landlords want to control their premises. It would, in my view, in a anything other than a mi- minor redecoration situation, it would be a mistake for a tenant 
not to involve the landlord or at least give them notice as to what they plan to do. And if they proceed without giving that notice, they may be in breach of their obligations, I presume. If it's a complicated, negotiated lease, then almost guaranteed they would be in some form of default. Right. Now, I think this is a topic that's current because of what happened uh, with with Target, who was a huge retail presence in Canada up until recently, and then they almost simply moved out. I want to talk about something called the co-tenancy clause. Can you tell me how that works and what happened with Target that would have impacted that clause? Sure. It, now you're getting into more sophisticated issues. A related issue that you already touched on are, is percentage rent. Right. And it's related because a tenant sometimes has to be convinced that the rent that the landlord is asking them to pay is worth it. And as I say, always check your assumptions. One of the assumptions is is that a large tenant that draws a lot of customers to the center is going to be there for the entire term of your lease. And a co-tenancy clause is a clause that a a new tenant, for instance, would put in their lease that says that if that circumstance changes during the term, then the rent will change. Usually it will be decreased in some fashion to reflect the fact that there's fewer customers coming to the center while that space is empty. I want to uh, thank you for coming in and doing this podcast with us. Can you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you if they need to have an expert like you to look at their lease? Just come on to the Blaney McMurtry website, blaney.com, and look up me, Dennis Tobin. Now, what is, what's your email, Dennis? dtobin at blaney.com. And your phone number? 416-596-2897. Well, thank you very much, Dennis. That was a, a very interesting and enlightening exposition of the commercial lease. Thank you.